Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. very beginning of my blog talk show that started in, uh, oh man, sometime in 2010, and when I started the show, this was the um, the theme song, so I thought, why not just go back to it, just, just once more, hmm? Okay, so let's get this party started, you know, yesterday we started talking about, um, we started the show talking about Trump derangement syndrome. And how 
Democrats all across the United States of America stated emphatically and with fervor, yeah, that um, Donald John Trump is um, unfit for office. He doesn't have the temperament to be president. He he might put his finger on the on the nuclear nuclear button. He might he might blow us all to kingdom come. He might start a war. He's not fit. He doesn't have the temperament. He's uncouth. He is um what's the other thing? He's a lot of stuff that they that they don't like. You know? He's a couple of things I you know, I I'm not saying I don't like some of the things he do. I think his tweets are hilarious. And you know, that whole tweeting thing that he He's been doing, you know, it's, uh, it honestly, it's grown on me. I, I really, you know, at first I was like, well, no, come on, man, you don't need to be doing all that shit. Come on, you don't, you don't need to be tweeting every, every five minutes or every single thought. But then I started paying attention to his tweets and they were just, for me, they're just hilarious. I mean, I just love them. So, and, and I love Donald Trump. So, um, and, and it, you know what? It wasn't always so. You know, I I thought we were screwed when when he when he won the nomination. I was trying to figure out how we're going to get uh, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz. You know, how how are they going to how are they going to fix this problem? How are they going to get in there? Because those two guys I thought had the best chance. But you know, everything works out the way it's supposed to. You know, my dad taught me when I was a kid. He said, you know, never don't 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 waste your time worrying. Because I was a worrier as a kid. As a kid, I was a worrier. Um, and he would say, don't. So don't 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 spend so much time worrying about things because you know what, everything that you worry about, it eventually it works itself out in the end anyway. So don't worry so much. And you know what, he was right. He's been proven right time and time again. And I worried about Donald Trump winning the um, the presidency, and uh, and the worry was for naught because he's done. He's done a terrific job so far, but, you know, the liberal media doesn't think so. CNN, MSNBC, NBC, CBS, ABC, DEFG, all those folks, they, they're just suffering from, yeah, Trump derangement syndrome. Now, to be fair, there was Bush derangement syndrome. We didn't hear much about it, though, did we? No. There was Obama derangement syndrome, of which I suffered from greatly, but... Uh, and so, you know, but but it wasn't the term, you know, wasn't widely used with either of those. But it's used every single day. And you know, to be fair, it's used by Donald Trump a lot. So, um, and uh, but but the thing is, the liberal media has stated emphatically that Trump needs to be impeached, that he is unfit to be president. And I have some liberal friends who who share that view. But they can't really cite reasons why. Some have said he doesn't speak well. Some have said that you know he doesn't really care for women all that much. He likes to grab them by their um, private parts, and that he had an affair, an affair, mind you, with a um, with a porn actress before he became president. Unlike. Hmm, JFK, who had affairs with porn actresses, hookers, and pretty much anybody he can get his hands on, he could get his hands on, like, every single day. Now, so Trump, if Trump, let's say that Trump did have a, an affair with a porn actress before he became president. 
All right, so can we contrast that with, with what we heard about LBJ yesterday? Can we contrast that with JFK? So when we talk about presidents who are unfit for the office, let's let's go back. Let's go behind the scenes. Now today, um, we're going to talk about my man and yours. Georgia's favorite son, James Earl Carter Jr. Yeah, he served as the as the uh, 39th president of the United States from 1977 until 1981. Now, he was previously the 76th governor of Georgia from 71 to 75 after two terms in the Georgia State Senate, which he served from 1963 to 1967. Now, he was born October 1st, um, 1924. He is 93 years old. Lillian Carter, his mama. Okay, his spouse, Rosalind. Both of those folks are still alive. Party Democrat, Vice President Walter Mondale. Now, Carter graduated from my alma mater, the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, and and so we have a we have a link there. But you know. When we think about Carter, what do we think about? What do we what do we think about? We think about uh, a good man, a good man. We think about he's kind of like the favorite uncle or brother or grandfather. He's got that big old smile showing all two hundred and twelve teeth. He he's he's just a good man. He wasn't a great president. A lot of people will agree, even Democrats. But he was a good man, and he's done some good things for the United States of America. He's done some good things after leaving office, didn't he? He was such a great guy. More importantly, he is, or rather was, brilliant. He was a nuclear physicist back in the early 1960s. Late 1950s, he graduated uh, with a degree in mathematics and nuclear engineering. Did you know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was selected by Admiral Hyman Rickover to serve as an engineering officer above uh, on board the Sea Wolf, America's second nuclear submarine. Did you know that? He was an engineering officer aboard our nation's second nuclear submarine. Hyman Rickover, if you don't know this, Admiral Rickover, was the father of uh, nuclear subs. He was like the godfather, really. So he was selected by him personally. A brilliant man of that, there is no doubt. But was he a good president? Hail to the null. Was he a good man? Nope, as we'll soon find out. <laughs> was he a good person? No. Negatory. Nope, 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 nope. But he put on the show, didn't he? He grinned that toothy grin. I almost said the F word. He grinned that toothy grin. He showed that winning smile. And, yeah, everybody thought, well, he meant well. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. He meant well. Sure, he gave the Panama Canal to the Panamanians. Because, you know... It's theirs. 
But yeah, no, it was ours. We built it. We took a chunk. This is actually the truth here. This is history. We took a chunk of Columbia, renamed that chunk of land, and called it Panama. Then, once we were done with all that, we dredged a big old line right through the middle of it so that our ships can get from the east coast to the west coast, from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Pretty goddamn quick. That's what we did. We paid for it. But, you know, Jimmy, because he's so sweet, and he wants to be so fair, and he wants to do he wants to do what's right. So he said, you know what? We're going to give this Panama Canal to the Panamanians. Well, folks, that didn't go over too well. Mm-mm. And America's still smarting over that one. A lot of Americans. And he did some other boneheaded, stupid things. Got a whole lot of Delta Force warriors killed. In a disaster, when he attempted to send a rescue mission to Iran to rescue the hostages held from the U.S. Embassy, they were there for over over a year. And when he was finally able to engineer the release of said hostages, time's up. He was out of office, and. When my man and yours, Ronald Reagan, took over, guess who got the credit? Ronnie got the credit because folks were saying, well, you know, Jimmy's pretty much a candy ass. And that's why the hostages were in captivity for more than a year. Now Ronnie comes in, tough talking, swagger, cowboy thing happening. Ronnie's talking about whooping ass. And asking questions, well, maybe not even asking questions, just 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 putting a stomping on Iran. That's what he was talking about. So all of a sudden, time is running out. Jimmy Carter signs the paperwork, and and the hostages are about to be released. And and this this is a moment where individual achievement is at play. He's about to salvage some semblance of dignity. After four years of ineptitude, he's about to bring Americans home. And the Iranians give him the big finger and say, no, 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 baby boy. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let the clock run down. And as soon as your ass departs the Oval Office, then we'll release the hostages so you don't get the credit. Now what? So the clock runs out. Jimmy and his wife depart the White House. The hostages are still in captivity. He gets on Marine One, does that little wave he does that they all do, and is gone. Ronnie Reagan assumes the presidency, sworn in, in in the chair, in the office, boom. Iran releases the hostages. Ronnie gets the credit. Jimmy goes down as being most likely and probably and 
No, until Barack Obama, the worst president in the history of the United States. Remember OPEC? How many of you were alive when we had gas lines around the block? Hmm? How many of you, I mean, even though gas was like 30 cents, 70 cents, 60 cents, still, there wasn't enough to go around. That was all about Jimmy Carter. And when America did not participate in the 1980 Olympics, guess whose fault that was? Jimmy C. Mm Mm-hmm. The man was a mess. He was a big old mess. And we're about to find out. We're about to... We're about to get in the man's head. We're about to find out what kind of guy was Jimmy Carter. Was Jimmy Carter America's best ex-president? Only if you're not bothered by the resurgence of, well, Islamic fundamentalist terrorism, which started on his watch. Yeah, if, if you're not bothered by that. And you know what? Anybody ever hear of um anybody ever hear of a guy by the name of uh, a bank robber by the name of Willie Sutton? He was a notorious bank robber, notorious criminal. Never killed anybody, but he robbed a shitload of banks. Anyway, you know how you can't slick a can of oil. Anybody ever hear that term? Trying to slick a can of oil? Can't con a con man. Anybody hear those terms? Well, Willie Sutton said this. He said, and I quote, I've never seen a bigger confidence man in my life. And I've been around some of the best in the business, end quote. This is what bank robber and all-around confidence man Willie Sutton said of Carter. While Carter was in office, what did he know? What did he know? about Carter that the American people did not. You know, a con man can always spot another con man. A crook, a criminal, can always tell if he's in the presence of another criminal. Don't ask me why, but I know. So, what did, what did Willie Sutton know when he stated that I've never seen a bigger confidence man in my life and I've been around some of the best in the business hmm well it's time to set the record straight finally finally we're going to set the record straight we're going to demolish the myth of St. Jimmy and expose, expose him for who he really was. Yes, he's about to be exposed, but as naked. The emperor, new clothes, don't exist. Jimmy Carter is about to be naked, naked to my audience, but as naked. And no, does he have big ass giant balls like, like LBJ and a huge slong? Nope. We're going to see a butt-ass naked Jimmy strip bear. And we're going to see that he got a little bitty Peter and a little bitty tiny, those those little 
cocktail onion balls. So stay tuned, sweeties. We're about to get this party started. We'll take a short break, and we'll come right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Oh, well, you know, you know what? We forgot something. Today's date is August 8th. Mm-hmm. August 8th, 2018. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. And you're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. We'll be right back. Morning at the office, you can see him arrive. He stands six foot two and weighs 195. Now, some don't like him, some think he's hip, but all agree he gives a lot of lip. Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. The Donald. Big Don. Now, it's no secret where the money came from. He appeared on the scene with a mighty sum. He doesn't smoke, never had a drink. But about that hair, his barber stinks, Big Don. Now, the road to the White House is muddy and rough. If you want to win, you got to talk tough. Lay your cards on the table. Think with your gut. Make America great. Who cares if you're a nut, Big Don? Big Don. Big Don, Big Bad Don, Big Don. Then came the day of the big debate. He was number one, must have been fate. Bush was praying, so was Cruz. Trump got applause, they got booed, except Don. Then Megan Kelly stepped up to the plate. She asked Big Don, is it women you hate? Don just smiled, said, it's not true. Maybe Rosie O'Donnell, but certainly not you. Big Don. Big Bad Don. Big Don. Well, he came out a winner, went up in the polls. People love this guy. Young and the old. Will he stay on top? Only time will tell. Meanwhile, he's gonna raise some hell, Big Don. Got his own jet plane, plays golf all day, rolls on like a tank, nothing gets in his way. He's got swagger and juice, tries to play fair. Now if he just do something with that friggin' hair. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. Big Don. Now there's a long, long time till that November date. Who knows what'll happen? We'll just have to wait. But this I can say without a doubt. This guy has got a big, big mouth. Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. Big Don. Trump Tower. Big Don Trump Resorts Big Don Trump Golf Big Don Mr. President Big Don Big Don Big Don People come to Internet Radio for any number of reasons. Among the reasons are perhaps they're tired of the pasteurized homogenized news that they get from their TV. 
Or some may want their talk radio a little more raw. Well, that's what you get with Internet Talk Radio. Real people with real opinions that give you real conversation. It's not just daddy's talk radio. And it's for people who stay informed and a great way to share ideas and debate issues. Well, let's just say that Internet Talk Radio hosts don't sit in front of the makeup mirror before they go on the air. Internet Talk Radio is a fast-growing new media that allows folks to get around the dinosaur media. We Are America United is a network of patriotic radio hosts bringing you honest discussion and discourse that will keep you riveted all day. Check out radio.waaumedia.com. Welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. And let's get started. The real Jimmy Carter. Now, like I said, we all remember those that big, giant, toothy grin. It looks as though he's got double the number of teeth of a normal person. Doesn't it? Yeah. And he just looked so earnest. And the way he spoke, it was just so so earnest and so 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 wholesome and so so all American. Yeah. It just made you want to give him a big old hug. Didn't it? Especially you ladies out there, because as he stated, he hadn't cheated on his wife, but he did he did cheat mentally or something like that. He did sin or commit adultery. Oh, he committed adultery in his own mind. I'm not sure what that meant. Maybe he he thought about getting a little something on the side and he sort of fantasized about it and he stroked himself a little. Maybe that's what he meant by committing adultery in his own mind. Hmm. Okay. So, Carter... As a meddling ex-president? You know, there was a Time Magazine columnist who wrote that some of Carter's Lone Ranger work has taken him dangerously close to the neighborhood of what we used to call treason. He would go behind presidents' backs, Democrat and Republican, take long trips all over the world, talk some shit, and basically create his own policy. Because we know he's a one-term guy. He was hoping for two terms. So I guess he took whatever notoriety he had from being that one-term failure and just kind of went all over the world and doing his own diplomatic thing. And it caused a lot of problems. He befriended North Korea during the Clinton administration, appeasing the communist regime and giving it cover for its nuclear weapons program that my man and yours, Donald Trump, is fixing right now. Carter made direct contacts with Soviet officials to try to subvert President Reagan's anti-communist policies. Hmm? Collusion? Anybody? The shocking extent of Carter's clandestine efforts to sabotage the first Gulf War in 1990 and how he used Gulf War II to publicly question the Christian faith of America's commander-in-chief. Carter befriended Yasser Arafat, making himself an enemy of Israel to this very day. Oh, yeah, and Carter as a politician 
He was a vicious campaigner. And he even race-baited Carter's White House during the disaster of the Sandinista takeover of Nicaragua, if anybody remembers. The energy crisis and stagflation, where he gave his famous uh, malaise speech, which pretty much sealed his fate. The Iranian Revolution, the hostage crisis, and the invasion of Afghanistan, just to name a few things. Carter, the failed president, remade himself as Carter, the humanitarian and freelance foreign policy critic of America. His Nobel official, how a no, and a Nobel official, inadvertently revealed that Carter's Nobel Prize was actually meant as a slap at America. Wow. The real Jimmy Carter is a shocker. Mm-hmm. Showing why. We're going to show why the peanut president should never have left his peanut farm in Plains, Georgia. And we're going to show it. We're going to show it right now. So without further ado, sit back, get your popcorn ready, and listen to Secret Service agents Members of his own administration, stewards, folks working on his plane, anybody and everybody, talk about the real Jimmy Carter. And remember, a lot of what you're going to hear about Jimmy Carter comes directly from his members of his Secret Service detail. And no one, no one saved the president's wife. Knows the real person, the real commander in chief, the real president, be it Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton. No one knows these men better than the Secret Service agents who are tasked with taking a bullet for them. So take a listen. Chapter 10, Deacon. If the Secret Service considered Richard Nixon the strangest modern president, Jimmy Carter was known as the least likable. If the true measure of a man is how he treats the little people, Carter flunked the test. Inside the White House, Carter treated with contempt the little people who helped and protected him. When Carter first came there, he didn't want the police officers and agents looking at him or speaking to him when he went to the office, says Nelson Pierce, an assistant White House usher. He didn't want them to pay attention to him going by. I never could understand why. He was not going to the Oval Office without shoes or a robe. We never spoke unless spoken to, says Fred Walzell who was chief of the White House branch of the Secret Service Uniformed Division. Carter complained that he didn't want them, the officers, to say hello. For three and a half years, Agent John Piasecki was on Carter's detail, including seven months of driving him in the presidential limousine, and Carter never spoke to him, he says. At the same time, Carter tried to project an image of himself as a man of the people by carrying his own luggage when traveling. But that was often for show. 
When he was a candidate in 1976, Carter would carry his own bags when the press was around, but ask the Secret Service to carry them the rest of the time. Carter would have us carry his luggage from the trunk to the airport, says former Secret Service agent John F. Collins. But that's not our job, and we finally stopped doing it. On one occasion, says Collins, we opened the trunk and shut it, leaving his luggage in the trunk. He was without clothes for two days. As president, Carter engaged in more ruses involving his luggage. When he was traveling, he would get on the helicopter and fly to Air Force One at Andrews Air Force Base, says former Secret Service agent Clifford R. Baranowski. He would roll up his sleeves and carry his bag over his shoulder, but it was empty. He wanted people to think he was carrying his own bag. Carter made a big show about taking a hang-up carry-on out of the trunk of the limo when he'd go someplace, and there was nothing in it, says another agent who was on his detail. It was empty. It was just all show. On the first Christmas morning after his election, Carter strode out of the front door of his home in Plains, Georgia, to get the newspaper. Instead of saying Merry Christmas to the Secret Service agent standing post, he ignored him. After church and a Christmas brunch, Carter's wife, Rosalind, put some leftovers out for their Siamese cat. According to Agent John Collins, the detail had befriended a stray Jack Russell Terrier and given him the code name Dolphin. Dolphin conformed with the Secret Service code names beginning with D assigned to the Carters. Seeing the food, Dolphin began gobbling it up, pushing away the cat. According to another agent who was there, Carter got a bow saw, the kind that is used to saw down trees, and actually tried to attack the dog with the saw. Carter got the bow saw off a wood pile near the family room patio, and in full view of his family, including his mother, Miss Lillian, tried to kill the dog, says the agent who was there. Dolphin, who was much faster than Carter, playfully dodged the president-elect's efforts. Carter then called the detail leader and demanded that the dog be removed from planes. The Secret Service gave the dog to the press corps covering Carter. Incredibly, Carter refused to carry out the biggest responsibility a president has, to be available to take action in case of nuclear attack. When he went on vacation, Carter did not want the nuclear football at Plains, a Secret Service agent says. There was no place to stay in Plains. The military wanted a trailer there. He didn't want that. So the military aide who carries the football had to stay in Americus, a 15-minute drive from Carter's home. Because of the agreed-upon protocols in the event of a nuclear attack, Carter could not have launched a counterattack by calling the aid in Americus. By the time the military aid drove to Carter's home, the United States would have been within five minutes of being wiped out by nuclear-tipped missiles. He would have had to drive ten miles, an agent says. Carter didn't want anyone bothering him on his property. He wanted his privacy. He was really different. 
Through his lawyer, Terence B. Adamson, Carter denied that he refused to keep the nuclear football near him plain, and that he instructed uniform officers not to say hello to him in the White House. But Bill Gully, who as director of the White House military office was in charge of the operation, confirmed that Carter refused to let the military aides stay near his residence. We tried to put a trailer in planes near the residence for the doctor who travels with the president and the aide with the football, Gully says. But Carter wouldn't permit that. Carter didn't care at all. Carter codenamed Deacon, was moody and mistrustful. When he was in a bad mood, you didn't want to bring him anything, a former Secret Service agent says. It was this hunkered-down attitude. I'm running the show. It was as if he didn't trust anyone around him. He had that big smile, but when he was in the White House, it was a different story. The only time I saw a smile on Carter's face was when the cameras were going, says former agent George Malhofer, who was periodically on his detail. Carter said, I'm in charge, a former Secret Service agent says. Everything is my way. He tried to micromanage everything. You had to go to him about playing on the tennis court. It was ridiculous. One day, Carter noticed water gushing out of a grate outside the White House. It was the emergency generating system, says William Cuff, the assistant chief of the White House military office. Carter got interested in that and micromanaged it. He would zoom in on an area and manage the hell out of it. He asked questions of the chief usher every day. How much does this cost? Which part is needed? When is it coming? Which bolt ties to which flange? At a press conference, Carter denied reports that White House aides had to ask him for permission to use the tennis courts. But that was more dissembling. In fact, even when he was traveling on Air Force One, Carter insisted that aides ask him for permission to play on the courts. It is a true story about the tennis courts, says Charles Palmer who was chief of the Air Force One stewards. Because other aides were afraid to give Carter the messages asking for permission, Palmer often wound up doing it. He, Carter, approved who played from on the plane, Palmer says. Mostly people used them when he was out of town. If the president was in a bad mood, the aides said, you carry the message in. On the bad days, when we were having problems, no one wanted to talk to the president. It was always, I have a note to deliver to the president. I don't want him hollering at me. Palmer says Carter seemed to relish the power. At times, Carter would delay his response, smugly saying, I'll let them know, Palmer says. Other times, he would look at me and smile and say, tell them yes. I felt he felt it was a big deal. I didn't understand why that had to happen. Early in his presidency, Carter proclaimed that the White House would be dry. Each time a state dinner was held, the White House made a point of telling reporters that no liquor, only wine, would be served. The Carters were the biggest liars in the world, Gully says. The word was passed to get rid of all the booze. There can't be any on Air Force One, in Camp David, or in the White House. This was coming from close associates of the Carter family. 
Gully told White House military aides, hide the booze and let's find out what happens. According to Gully, the first Sunday they are in the White House, I get a call from the mess saying, they want Bloody Marys before going to church. What should I do? I said, find some booze and take it up to them. We never cut out liquor under Carter, Palmer says. Occasionally, Carter had a martini, Palmer adds. He also had a Michelob light. Rosalind, codenamed Dancer, would have a screwdriver. Lillian Carter, Carter's own mother, contradicted her son's claim. In a 1977 interview with the New York Times, she said that even though the White House was officially dry, she managed to have a nip of bourbon every afternoon when she stayed there. She said one evening to one of the butlers, I'm kind of used to having a little nip before going to bed. You think you could arrange to give me a little brandy each night? Says Shirley Bender, the White House executive housekeeper. When Vice President Walter Fritz Mondale visited Carter at Plains for the first time, Miss Lillian knocked on the door of a Winnebago the Secret Service was using as a command post. I opened the door, and there's Miss Lillian standing there with a paper bag with two six-packs of beer in it, says David Curtis, an agent on the Mondale detail. I've got something for the boys, Lillian Carter said. Don't tell Jimmy. I appreciate that, Miss Lillian, but we can't accept that, Curtis said. When he was in the White House, Carter would regularly make a show of going to the Oval Office at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to call attention to how hard he was working for the American people. He would walk into the Oval Office at 6 a.m., do a little work for half an hour, then close the curtains and take a nap, says Robert B. Solomon Jr., who was on Carter's detail. His staff would tell the press he was working. Another agent says that at other times he could see Carter through the Oval Office windows, dozing off in his desk chair while pretending he was working. Carter claimed to the press that he was saving energy by having solar panels installed on the roof of the White House to heat hot water. It would not generate enough hot water to run the dishwasher in the staff mess, Cuff says. It was a fiasco. A staff mess had to go out and buy new equipment to keep the water hot enough. That blew any savings. Carter even tried to cut back the crew on Air Force One. Air Force One is an airplane, and you need a minimum number of people to fly it, Cuff notes. You have to have a pilot, co-pilot, and others. They never understood that. The presidential pilot and the vice chief of staff of the Air Force had to argue with them. Carter found out that after a catering company put on parties at Blair House for foreign dignitaries, instead of throwing away any leftovers as it normally would, the company would offer the food to Secret Service agents standing post. The guys were working shifts of 12 to 14 hours a day, a former agent says. Sometimes you could not break away to get food. Carter insisted that the catering firm figure out the cost of the extra food and charge agents for the leftovers they ate in the future, the former agent says. Gully, the head of the military office, says Carter became so involved in micromanaging the White House that he would veto the replacement of carpets. 
He wouldn't allow them to change the carpeting where the public went through the White House, Gully says. The White House looked like a peanut warehouse when I left, referring to Carter's business enterprise. Thousands of people pass through there, and it requires a high degree of maintenance. Carter himself got involved in that. It, the carpeting, was worn and dirty. Carter thought of himself as a better runner than his Secret Service agents and would challenge them to races. The Secret Service began assigning its best runners to his detail. One day at Camp David, Carter collapsed into the arms of an agent as he was trying to outrun them. He wasn't in bad shape, but he never warmed up, Agent Dennis Chomicki says. It was an exceptionally hot day, and he took off real fast and kind of burned himself out. He basically lost it. On another occasion, agents warned Carter that cross-country skiing at Camp David would be dangerous because there was not enough snow on the ground and there were a lot of bare spots. Carter ignored the advice. Yeah, okay, I'll decide on that, Carter said, according to Agent Chomicki. He went out and sure enough, he fell on his face and broke his collarbone, Chomicki says. In Washington, the Secret Service tried to find secluded routes so Carter could run. One beautiful fall morning, Carter went running on the towpath along the C&O Canal. He planned to run from Key Bridge to Chain Bridge, then back to Fletcher's Boathouse, where Secret Service agents had been instructed to wait in their vehicles to pick him up. Because of a miscommunication, when Carter and his detail got to the boathouse, agents were nowhere to be seen. Stephen Garman, the detail leader, and other agents had been following Carter on bicycles. Garman, who later became deputy director of the Secret Service, tried to radio to the Secret Service vehicles, but his transmission was not getting through. The president said he was getting cold, Garman recalls. I asked if he would mind running back to Key Bridge, and we could flag a cab if necessary. Then I saw a payphone, but I didn't have any change. Garmin decided to try calling the 911 emergency number. Identifying himself as a Secret Service agent, he asked to be connected to the White House Communications Agency switchboard. The 911 operator connected me, and I was able to communicate to the vehicles so agents would pick us up, Garmin says. Besides seeing what presidents and first families are really like, Secret Service agents get to see the real face of the White House political staff. When Carter was meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin and Egyptian President Anwar el-Sadat at Camp David, former agent Cliff Baranowski heard a strange noise in the woods around midnight. Then Hamilton Jordan, Carter's chief of staff, came out of the woods with a pretty intern, Baranowski says. They were parked in the woods, and his car got stuck. The noise was the spinning of wheels. As a micromanager, Carter gave his vice president, Walter Mondale, few duties. So Mondale was able to spend much of his time playing tennis and traveling. Toward the end of his term, Carter became suspicious that people were stealing things and eavesdropping on his conversations in the Oval Office. Carter and his staff were becoming very paranoid, says a General Services Administration, GSA, building manager, in charge of maintenance of the West Wing.
They thought GSA or the Secret Service were listening in. One afternoon, Susan Clough, Carter's secretary, insisted that someone had stolen a vial of crude oil from the Oval Office. The vial was a gift to Carter from an Arab leader. Susan Clough swore up and down that someone poured some of it out, a GSA manager says, even though the vial was sealed. There was a big fuss over it. The Secret Service photographs everything in the President's suite. They photographed it again, and it hadn't been touched. It shows the paranoia. Before going on a fishing trip in Georgia one morning, Carter accused a Secret Service agent of stealing fried chicken that stewards had prepared. In fact, White House aides Jody Powell and Hamilton Jordan had eaten it. After Reagan was inaugurated, GSA discovered that the Carter staff had left garbage in the White House and had trashed furniture in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building. GSA saw furniture, desks, and file cabinets turned over, a GSA building manager says. They shoved over desks. We had to straighten it out. It was 15 or 20 desks in one area. It was enough to look like a cyclone had hit. After he was voted out of office, Carter occasionally stayed in the townhouse GSA maintains for former presidents at 1716 Jackson Place. On the walls of the townhouse are photos of former presidents. Checking the premises, GSA managers found that when Carter was visiting, he would take down the photos of Republican Presidents Ford and Nixon and decorate the townhouse with another half-dozen 16-inch by 24-inch photos of himself. Each time, Charles B. Buddy Respass, then the GSA manager in charge of the White House, became irate because GSA had to find the old photos and hang them again. Through his lawyer, Adamson, Carter denied this. He also denied that he thought people were listening to his conversations in the Oval Office. But Lucille Price, the GSA manager who then reported to RISP, says Carter changed the photos. He didn't like them, Ford and Nixon, looking down at him. We would find out he would put photos of himself up. Then, she says, Carter would take the photos of himself back with him. For all his bizarre behavior and shams, Carter was genuinely religious and did not swear, and had a loving relationship with his wife, Rosalind, who acted as an advisor. Says Richard Rapaski, who was on Carter's detail, Rosalind really was the brains of the outfit. All right. Welcome back, folks, to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. That was enlightening, wasn't it? Wasn't it really? I mean, you get a look at the actual person, not the person that we see on television uh, giving a speech or waving as he walks across the South Lawn to get on to Marine One. Not the State of the Union address, not the White House briefings, not any of that. We we see we we get a glimpse uh, of the of, of the actual human being, the person, a guy who only smiled when it was necessary to do so when cameras were rolling, a person who pretended to be the everyman, the down to earth dude, the roll up your sleeves guy. Hey, 
I don't need some guy carrying my bags for me. I remember that. I remember that image that he projected. I, I'll carry my own bags. Now we come to find out that he didn't. He didn't do it at all. So much of what we think we know has never been true. It's it it it's a it's a it's it's a. I don't know if it's a fraud. If, if, if these if these politicians, our presidents, are, are are being fraudulent, or I mean, because what's wrong with not carrying your own bags? I mean, why would one need to pretend to carry one's own bags? So we see that what Willie Sutton. The great bank robber and confidence man in his own right. What we saw, he saw something that few on the outside saw. He knew, he knew a fraud can spot another fraud. A con man can spot another con man. A criminal can spot another criminal a mile away. Jimmy Carter was a fraud. He was mean-spirited. Well, come on. Let's just come right out and say it. He was an asshole. But he didn't come across that way to us. Not when I was young. He didn't come across that way in the 80s. When, now that I think of it, remember when we watched him uh, take a take a hammer out and and, and and help build homes for habitat for humanity. Was he now 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 we must wonder was he actually, I mean did he just pick up that hammer when the cameras were rolling and then once the cameras stopped rolling and the news media left did he just drop that damn hammer and roll out. Now we have to wonder and now folks I want you to. I want you to think about this because what we're seeing is a glimpse of basically people who are putting on a show for us to fool us into thinking they're something that they're not. And I wonder how many presidents – and let's go back to before Franklin Delano Roosevelt because in my mind he's the first to – perpetrate fraud on the American people when he pretended or tried to tried to make it make it appear to to all of America and the world that he could actually walk when he couldn't. I mean that was the first fraud right then and there. And when his health was failing dramatically, he put forth the fraud that he was a vigorous man. I mean that in my mind it started there. Confidence man. Con man. Con man is short for confidence man. To take us into your confidence. To make us believe that you're something that you are not. In order to enact a specific or general result. To get something from us. Jimmy Carter. Pretending to carry. A garment bag. 
with his own clothes in it. And now we find out that the garment bag was empty. What? I mean, how much muscle does it take to carry a garment bag with a couple of suits in it to begin with? Why did it have to be empty? Think about these things. The next time you hear about Jimmy Carter, the next time you see his craggy old 93-year-old face, think about what a punk, what a pussy he was, and what a mean-spirited asshole he was. Intellect does not compensate for humanity. And James Earl Carter Jr. was a total dick. Oh, I just got that off my chest. So now, time is up. Thank goodness. For So let's get on out of here. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Who's next? JFK maybe? Hmm. We'll see. Uh, uh, you could be doing anything tonight and you chose to take time to listen to my show and I certainly do appreciate it. And I appreciate you for it. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. We are out. There's things disappearing That I worked for all my life I dread having to start again With just my children and my wife I want to thank some lucky stars For trying to bring our greatness back today Cause the flag used to stand for freedom And now they're trying to take that away We're gonna make America great again We're gonna set our country free From the destruction by the party Taking freedom away from me And I'll probably stand up next to Trump And support him here today Cause there ain't no doubt he'll fix this land God bless Trump and the USA America safe again. We will make America great again. With the fine folks of Minnesota to the great peeps of Tennessee, along with the strong down in Texas, from sea to shining sea, from the suffering Detroit down to Houston, and New York to LA. We can bring back the American dream And it's time we stand and say We're gonna make America great again We're gonna keep our country free And we're going to help all those who fought To give that right to me And I'm glad we stand up next to Trump And support him here today Cause there ain't no doubt He's the
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.